Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn together to Genesis chapter 30. That's page 24 in the Blue Bible, Genesis 30. through verse 24. This is God's holy word. Hear it with faith. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, Am I in the place of God, who is withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I. For women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me. 
because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. You may be wondering, why are we going through these soap opera passages of the Bible? <laughs> that, is, that is what they're like. You know, we've seen, uh, been seeing the consequences of Jacob's sin for the past couple weeks. And here in chapter 30, we see more uh, of that, more of the same. Uh, this tension in this family, this jealousy, uh, uh, it's quite a mess. But this is the, the Lord doing his work of divine parenting of Jacob, as we said. The Lord chastens those he loves. He's disciplining Jacob. He's forming him. He's molding him uh, to be a, a man of faith, a godly man. And he's got a long way to go. And he's using his circumstances in this way to work on him. He loves Jacob. He loves him too much to let him go on in his sin. And so he's working in his life, uh, disciplining his children whom he loves. It's tough love that the Lord uh, works in the lives of his children at times. And he's doing that here. He's orchestrating Jacob's life and his circumstances in this way with many difficulties, but he's doing it all with a very good purpose. We need to remember he's working in our lives that way as well, even through the things that we wouldn't consider good. Last week we saw the, the love between Jacob and Rachel as he finally was able to claim her in marriage. But this wasn't a, a happily ever after story with these two. It's, again, more like a soap opera unfolding. Uh, it's not a, a, a smooth sailing in this family. It's a very uh, dysfunctional family. La Laban, you remember, deceived Jacob by giving him Leah, the older sister, instead of Rachel. And while Laban was responsible for his sin in that, Again, God is sovereignly at work through this. And he's using these sinful and miserable circumstances for the good of his children. He's advancing his divine purposes, uh, even through all the messiness that we see uh, in uh, these circumstances. As we pick up here in chapter 30, we see now Jacob is a polygamist. He's got two wives, although it wasn't his choice. Uh, he was fooled into marrying Leah, uh, but then he did still choose to uh, marry Rachel. He was dead set on having her as his wife, and he took her to be his wife. And we know God's plan is not uh, polygamy, God's plan for marriage. This is a violation 
of God's will. Uh, and there were very many practical problems that go along with polygamy. Uh, it's God's wisdom that uh, this, this is not the normal order of things. Uh, it shouldn't be a surprise that there would be problems that would come with this. Uh, you're going against God's will, and God's will is always best. God's will always works best in our lives. When we turn away from God's will, we're going to be turning ourselves toward many problems. The worst thing about polygamy, though, is not the, the problems it causes uh, in people's lives, but that it misrepresents the Lord and our relationship with Him. He is the husband, and we, as His redeemed people, are His bride. That's what marriage between a man and woman is meant to represent, and it's to be an exclusive relationship of love and committed faithfulness. Of course, we see that precept laid down in Scripture, and we see uh, in the New Testament that that is how God intends uh, for the church um, to relate to Him. No other gods before Him. The church is the bride of Christ. She is to be faithful to Him just as He uh, is faithful to her. Jesus came and laid down His life for His people to redeem them uh, in His love. And we are called to love Him and trust in Him alone. He is our Savior and our husband. And He demands our response of love and loyalty. We're called to that. We should love Him with all our hearts, seeing how much He has first loved us in Christ. Well, polygamy and other sins against marriage distort that beautiful image of Christ's relationship with the church. But Jacob was in that situation now. He was a polygamist, like it or not. And it seems he did not like it, but he wanted the second wife and not the first. This must have been a very hard situation to live in. It must have been a very uh, difficult household um, to live in. Not only does he have two wives, but they're sisters. And not only that, but one is deeply loved and the other is not loved. And that goes from bad to worse uh, as uh, the story unfolds. And yet, as we said last week, even in the midst of all this messiness and dysfunction and unhappiness, God is working. God is building His church. And that's a testimony to His grace. He works through messiness like this to build His church. He works that way in our messy lives as His people. He starts with people who are so very far from uh, being righteous and having it all together. You know, the raw materials God starts with, if you want to think about it that way, the raw materials, us, very defective materials, broken, bent. That's you and me. And that's something that God wants us to know about ourselves. And He wanted the people of Israel to know that. 
That's one reason why Moses was writing these things, writing um, this story with all the warts included. The Holy Spirit was having him include all these things as he was inspiring Moses to write these things. Israel had just been delivered from Egypt when Moses wrote Genesis. And God wanted them to know uh, their origins, wanted them to know their history and the kind of stock they came from. He wanted them to learn from this history as well uh, by seeing the failures uh, of their forefathers and to not repeat them, but to instead walk humbly with their God in faith. You think about this. Who would want this kind of story published as the official history of their nation with all this mess, all this drama, all this soap opera nastiness? You wouldn't want that as the history of your nation. You'd want to keep it all cleaned up and uh, looking tidy and impressive. You'd want to have good guy heroes in your history to look back to. But that's not what Israel had to look back to. That's not what their forefathers were like. The nation of Israel was born out of this totally messed up situation, this messed up relationship between Jacob and his two wives and their maids, no less. It's not a pretty picture. It's, it's a mess. But this helps us to focus on and see the goodness and the grace of the Lord that works redemptively. He, he works redemptively through situations like this and with sinful people like this. He made these people for himself and redeemed them And he's continuing to redeem them despite all their sins. And he did that with these patriarchs. Despite all the infighting, despite all the jealousy, God's promises and purposes were being worked out. He was bringing them to pass through all this. And that tells us that God is very great. What a great and very gracious God we have. And he has always been that kind of great and gracious God who redeems people, sinful people. That's an encouragement for us because we're just as sinful, just as messed up as Jacob and his family. That should encourage us to come to the Lord and be real. Come to him with all your messiness. I read a book not long ago on prayer. I forget the the author's name. But that was one of the main themes he stressed. Come messy. Be real with the Lord. Come to him with all your messiness. The Lord is pleased to redeem humble people like that. Let's look at this rivalry between these sisters. It is quite a rivalry. Leah was frustrated. She was deeply sad, and that was because she was unloved by Jacob. But God loved her and had compassion on her. 
and he opened her womb. He opened the womb of this unloved woman who looked to him. I have to think maybe those circumstances of being unloved, that sorrowful situation she was in, brought her to the place of looking to the Lord. Suddenly she was blessed with babies, having babies left and right. And we're told that this raised her hopes that um, Jacob would love her now, now that she was giving him all these children. Rachel, on the other hand, was crushed by this. She wasn't uh, happy for her sister. She was um, unhappy. And more and more, as the babies continued to come, Rachel was the pretty popular girl. But as you read the story, you might wonder, maybe she was a little bit shallow. Maybe she wasn't all that deep. It seems she wasn't very deep in her faith. Maybe she needed a little humbling. Just like Jacob, who needed to learn to be in the place of a servant. That's where the Lord had him now, as a servant to Laban for all those years. And Rachel seems to have needed to be humbled. She needed to learn to look to the Lord in faith. And the Lord has a way of working our circumstances to get us to do that. It's interesting how he deals with these women. Um, One is so desperate for love, but can't get it. The other one is loved, but doesn't seem to care about that because all she wants is children, and yet she can't have any. Each one has what the other one wants. But God is using these trials in each of their lives to show them something. He's using these things to show them what they really need, and what they really need is Him. They need the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, we see Rachel's jealousy. Leah was probably often the jealous one, uh, jealous of her pretty little sister, probably jealous of the attention that Rachel got for her beauty. Now the tables are turned. Rachel is the jealous one. She's childless, and she's... Uh, She's not handling it well. She's very miserable about it. She says to Jacob, give me children or I will die. And Jacob got angry in response and he said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? She's so frustrated to to speak out like this. She's really lashing out at her husband. Um, Imagine the situation. Each one of Leah's births, giving birth to new babies, made Rachel an aunt again. But she wasn't happy about it. Each one made her feel worse. Each one made her feel more jealous. And she throws it all at Jacob, basically blames Jacob And you can see that she really has lost sight of the Lord. She's not thinking about the Lord. She's not thinking about the Lord's sovereignty over all this. And 
At first, it sounds just like Jacob's just snapping back at her in, in uh, or, or an angry response. And it does seem he's angry. And he, he responded to her um, unreasonable um, words to him. But he actually also says exactly what she needs to hear. He points out to her that God is the one who's in control of this. God is the one who knows our needs furthermore. and He's able to meet them. Only God. A husband can't meet uh, this need that this woman has. It's the Lord and him alone. She needs to be talking to the Lord. And it seems Leah had learned to serve, or rather to seek the Lord, when she was suffering that pain of being unloved. That kind of pain would do that. And God responded to her. She turned to him, she cried out to him, and he honored her prayers. And she seems to have grown spiritually, grown in grace, grown in faith through her sufferings. Sufferings will do that. And God blessed her. He blessed her tremendously with all those children. Well, now it's Rachel's turn to learn to seek the Lord. But despite the wisdom of Jacob's words, she didn't really receive it. She didn't really listen to uh, those words, didn't take them to heart. seems she might have been uh, spiritually immature. Um, you see that even in her motives for wanting children. Now, sure, the biological drive uh, is powerful, and that was probably a big part of this, but clearly jealousy is motivating her here as well. So it's not just that she's barren in her womb, but as we see the passage unfolding, she seems to be barren in faith. Instead of calling out to the Lord, looking to Him, seeking Him for help, she's turning to schemes. She's taking matters into her own hands, like we see so often in these Stories in Genesis. We've seen it with Jacob, certainly. We've seen it with uh, Abraham and Isaac as well. She takes matters into her own hands here and she uh, tries to get what she wants. And so, uh, so the baby war begins here between Leah and Rachel. And she pulls out all the stops to compete with her sister. And what does she do? She resorts to the same old method that Sarah used. Two generations ago, she threw another woman at her husband. For Sarah, of course, it was Hagar. She did the same thing. Sarah was barren, and so in order to have kids, she thought, well, I'll give my maidservant to my husband. I'll have kids through her. That wasn't the Lord's plan. Neither was it here. But Rachel takes her maid, Bilhah, and pushes her on Jacob as a surrogate mother, and off we go in this baby war. Now, Jacob has come a long way. He's, he's, he's growing. 
Again, he tells his wife here, listen, only the Lord can open your womb. Why are you blaming me? Why are you putting this all on me? It's the Lord who's in control here. He's not scheming. He's not manipulating at this point. He realized he can't do anything to fix this problem. He can't make it better for her. If he would, uh, if, he, if he could have, he would have. But sadly, he gave in to this scheme. That she has result of giving in to Sarah's plan. But he agreed anyway. Probably wanted to make his wife happy. And not long after that, he agreed to do the same thing for Leah. And he takes both of their maids to be wives. But things still aren't going well for Rachel. She desperately wants to catch up and, and uh, uh, win this baby war, or at least catch up and uh, make it a tie, make it even. And it looks like it's beginning to go her way when her maid Bilhah has two children, two babies, Dan and Naphtali. So far, so good. She's gaining on Leah. But then Team Leah scores two more points with uh, Zilpah having two more babies, Gad and Asher. So poor Rachel, another setback. She can't win. Now the score is Leah six, Rachel two. And Rachel herself still hasn't had a baby yet. The Lord is frustrating her plans. And she still refuses to look to him for help. And then she takes her self-sufficiency to uh, another level. She's barren. She's losing this uh, war with her sister for babies, even with Bilhah's help. And so she resorts to this next scheme of the mandrakes. We were watching a Harry Potter movie <laughs> yesterday, and uh, I was surprised to see mandrakes came into the uh, one scene. And uh, these are not those kind of mandrakes. Where it's like these little screaming creatures on the, uh, on the root end of these plants. Mandrakes here were a plant, indeed, that bore a small fruit, and they were thought to increase fertility. They were um, believed to help a woman conceive, a woman who was barren. And of course, this is just another scheme of Rachel's. It has nothing to do with God. She's not seeking the Lord in prayer here. God is really not in view for Rachel at all. She sees one of Leah's boys carrying these mandrakes in from the field that he found, and she asks Leah to share them, and Leah had no interest in sharing them. Uh, there's, there's real tension between these sisters. And uh, it seems Rachel hasn't been sharing Jacob with Leah. And so Leah fires back and says, Hey, you took away my husband. Are now you going to take away my son's mandrakes as well? 
Well, Rachel really wants what she wants. She wants those mandrakes because of what she thinks they can do for her. And so she makes this deal with Leah. And here again, we see what a messy, messy family uh, this is. Rachel basically rents out her husband Jacob to sleep with Leah for the night. I have to think Rachel must have learned a thing or two from Jacob, the scheming, the wheeling and dealing, manipulating. She's the one manipulating here, scheming, trying to get her way. But again, God is in control, and he's going to show her that he can't be manipulated. She's looking to the wrong source for help. She should have taken Jacob's words to heart. God is the one in control of these things. God alone is able to meet our needs. That's a lesson she needed to learn, and we all need to learn that. It's God alone that we need to put our trust in. Not in ourselves, not in our schemes, not in any created thing. Well then, of course, the mandrakes didn't help at all. Rachel ate the fruit, but still her womb was fruitless. She was childless. Leah, on the other hand, uh, it all backfired. Leah becomes pregnant again. She has two more boys and a girl. So now it's Leah nine and Rachel two. So not only did Rachel not get what she wanted, but she's actually enabled her sister to get further ahead with more children. No doubt she was even more envious and probably bitter. Have you ever felt like you can't control things and you realize, man, whatever I do, my life is out of control. I can't get what I want, whatever, you know, whatever the cir- circumstance might be. You want something so bad and you're frustrated. You feel like you're going to explode because of that. That's probably what Rachel felt like at this point. You know, that's not a bad place to be because you learn you really aren't in control. The Lord is the one who's in control, and he is the one that you need to look to. It seems at this point she still hadn't hadn't gotten there yet. Well, finally, we see a change, a change in her. In her sorrow over her barrenness, she seems to have finally come to the end of herself. It seems she started seeking the Lord. She started praying, and God heard her and answered her. Verse 22 says, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb and gave her a son. And then she acknowledged the Lord. She said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. So for the first time here, we hear the name of the Lord on Rachel's lips. She's finally seeking the Lord. She's finally seen that 
only he can meet her need. She acknowledges him and his power and his sovereignty. She gives him glory. She's finally learning to trust in him. What's the message of this passage for the people of Israel back then after they had made it out of Egypt in the Exodus? That's when this was written. Well, the message for them is the same that it is for us. Our schemes and efforts Our human efforts will not accomplish the purposes of God. And yet God is good, and He is faithful, and He is our help, and He is our provider. He is the one who is able to meet the real needs of His people. And we need to trust in Him and Him alone. We need to trust Him with full confidence Have a humble attitude about yourself, but have great confidence in the Lord. And if we won't trust in him, he has ways to change that. He has ways of working our circumstances to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we'll learn to trust in him. He's able to make our circumstances Uh, go in just the right way that we need, probably not the way we want, so that we'll learn to depend on Him. So learn that lesson. And learn to seek the Lord. Learn to trust in Him. Trust in Him for your salvation of all your sins in Jesus Christ. And trust in Him for all your needs your earthly needs as well. He knows how to meet those needs. Look to him in faith and praise him for his great faithfulness and goodness to you. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would write it on our hearts Apply it in our lives. Enable us to receive it in faith and and work it out in our lives, in our circumstances. As we learn by your grace and help to trust and obey you uh, all our days. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.